Good morning again. So we're going to be finishing up chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians this morning. You can turn that way if you've got it. remember some years ago them, someone telling me that sermon series should be four to six weeks long. And so try to imagine chapter 1 as one sermon series and chapter 2 is another one. So we're finishing up our sermon series on Ephesians chapter 2. And next week we'll start our sermon series on Ephesians chapter 3. Just to make sure I can comply with that, right? Um, but we're going to be in verses 19 through 22 in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and our, our passage here begins with those first words, so then, which is tying it back to the previous section, everything else that we've had in this, this series up to, to this point. Um, and so it's this concluding statement that's reflecting back on everything we, we've seen that um, the previous portion where we've been seeing that both Jews and Gentiles, especially Gentiles is kind of the focus, uh, are at peace with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not a result of works. Uh, and so everything we're going to read together is kind of coming around that and, and building off of that to, to come to a summary statement. So uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19, we'll start reading there. <clears throat> so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, give us a great sense of reality this morning. May we not see the world around us as, as merely with eyes of flesh, uh, but would you give us eyes of, of faith to see the world, enlarge our understanding about why we exist on this terrestrial ball that is orbiting the sun, and all of it that's just floating through this massive vacuum of space. God, may we learn this morning from your word. May we learn that in Jesus Christ we are truly members of your household and that we are united to each other through that. All for the glory of your name, the sake of your kingdom. Lord, enlighten our hearts this morning as we, we look into your word, the holy scriptures, to, uh, to believe them and receive them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So our passage begins with that, that statement, So then, you are no longer strangers and, and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Uh, we are no longer strangers and, and aliens. I can remember as a, a child growing up in, in Houston, uh, one day after a baseball game, riding with my mother on, on a street, and it began raining and, and pouring, and we were in a suburban um, and, and suddenly, my mom slammed on the brakes, and her car went sliding forward into the back of this pickup truck and smacked it so hard that the bumper fell off the pickup truck onto the ground in front of us. Um, and suddenly, this guy jumped out of the driver's seat, and he picked up the bumper and just says, no problem, no problem, throws the bumper in the back of the pickup truck and drives off. Um, and I remember thinking, that was strange. My, my mom made this, this comment at that moment, he must be an illegal alien. And I, in my elementary school brain at this moment, assumed that she meant this guy was from outer space. 
And I remember just never asking the question, just thinking, what a weird thing. My mom thinks he's an alien. Um, what she meant, and I learned this later on when I understood the word more properly, it's one of those you kind of flash back to an earlier memory in life and it makes sense, is, is that he wasn't a citizen of the United States. Uh, and, and so for you, you children, you know, when you, when you read in God's word here that, that it says we're no longer aliens, it does not mean that we're no longer from outer space. Uh, what it means is we're no longer outsiders. We're no longer foreigners, and we're no longer foreigners because we are citizens in, in the kingdom of God. That's the picture that's going on here. Um, and so you can see it, that, that, that the church of God is a kingdom. God is the king. And, God's, and, and by God's grace in Christ, we are made citizens of that kingdom. And so when we receive mercy and forgiveness from God, we're, we're joined together then as, as common citizens in this one kingdom as the people of God. And so what we learn then is that, that we, meaning all Christians, we are, are full citizens in the kingdom of God. And, and with that comes this eternal security like you couldn't imagine. Uh, you know, I, I often joke about being a citizen of Texan, Texas. Uh, I joke about it. I kind of wish it were true. But, but the reality is that, that Texas as a nation has not existed since 1845. It probably never will again. And, and, and I mention that because all the nations of the world, you know, come and go. And yet the kingdom of God absolutely stands forever. The citizenship we have there is, is eternal and, and forever. You know, even on the, in the nation today, the, the United Nations recognizes a 195 nations in the world. 195. FIFA, the soccer group, actually recognizes 100 or 211. I don't know where the extra 16 come in there, but either way, that's a lot of nations, and yet every one of those nations could come to an absolute end tomorrow. But not the kingdom of God. See, our, our citizenship is, is forever, and it is in the most secure place it could possibly be. And, and I tell you this so that you understand, so we can kind of let the anxieties of, of the world just melt off our shoulders as we rest secure under, uh, under the rule of this eternal king of ours, and, you know, as we, we rest as eternal citizens in his kingdom. And then in the second half of verse 19, we learn that we're not only citizens in God's kingdom, but it also reads saying uh, we are members of the household of God. Did you hear that? We're members of the household of God. By, by God's grace, we are, are members in his house. You know, every week we, we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Um, what are the first two words of that? Go ahead, you can say it out loud. Our Father. That's right. That's a family term. You know, that we are saying it together, and we are speaking about him being not just my father or your father, but he's our father. You know, we say it as individual voices and yet in, in union together as we're acknowledging that we have been adopted through Christ as God's children. And, and just like children refer to their father with, with an intimate title like that. When, um, when I was teaching a high school class in a, in a, well, in a high school, right? That's where you teach a high school class. Um, years ago, there was uh, one girl that would pray and she'd begin all of her prayers with this phrase. She'd say, Daddy. And then she'd pray when she'd, she'd pray out loud. And at first, it really bothered me, if I'm honest. I, I would hear that, and I kind of thought there was no reverence. There's reverence last, lacking in that statement, and it, and it kind of bothered me. But little by little, I, I really began to, to love it because it communicated the intimacy that she understood she, she had with God as, as an adopted child of God. 
You know, this, this reality then that we're all members in God's household speaks to the unity that we, we have with each other. I don't know if we think of that so often. You know, every, every family has their own rules, their own expectations that are unique to that family. They're not expected of people outside that family sometimes. Uh, when, when our children were, were even very young, we, we required them to respond to people that talked to them. Whether it be an adult or a child, it was you, you have to respond back to them. Um, and, and there was this one time we were at a playground, and, and we remember just suddenly hearing Beckham repeating to some, some young boy or some kid he was talking to, you, you has to respond over and over again, just yelling at this kid. You has to respond, little bitty. We were, you know, immediately embarrassed um, and, and had to explain to him, listen, he's, he's not part of our family. He doesn't know that rule. He, you can't really expect that from him. It's, it's okay. You have to respond. He does not. Um, and you get this idea, you know, that both, you know, but, but inside a family, inside a, a household, we, we have this unified way of life that, that helps us to function in a way that's good for the whole family. And, and just like our, our citizenship and, and God's kingdom is eternal, so is our inclusion in the family of God. This is, this is absolutely forever. In fact, you know, uh, Psalm 23, uh, you know, one of the more memorized of all psalms, uh, in verse 6 there at the end, the psalmist writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we, we think of all the shepherding imagery at the beginning of that, but that promise at the end, that, that statement at the end, that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, there is great comfort in that. This, this is a forever family. The church is a forever family family, and we really mean that, you know, as a, uh, a living in a college town, an army town, when, when army families leave for their next assignment, and, and when college students graduate, and they, they head on to whatever they're going to do next, it's this great saddening moment, you know, because this distance is going to be between many of us geographically, but uh, there's also this joy that is underneath it all, because we know that, you know, in eternity, we will really and ultimately be reunited with each other in the house of our Father, our, our God, our King. And so even, even these temporary relationships that we know that we're building into, we, we really realize are eternal. Um, and so then we, we, we've seen that we're citizens in the kingdom of God. We've seen that we are children in the household of God. And, and now Paul paints this picture of a building and the construction of the building. He begins to go into the details. And the first thing that we, we know about this building is what we read in verse 20, that, that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone so the cornerstone in any construction at this time was, was set down first. It was the first thing to go down. And it was really important because every other stone of that building was going to be laid in, in relation, in reference to this first stone. It, it determined the, the position of the entire structure. If the cornerstone were here, it was going to build this way. And if the cornerstone were here, it was going to build this way. And so we, we have Christ as the foundation of the actual foundation. Uh, there's many references to the cornerstone in the Old Testament that, that tell us about the, the Messiah who was, was to come, that he would be the cornerstone of, uh, of this building, this redemptive history that God was, was constructing. And Jesus himself makes reference to this when he's, when he's speaking to the Jewish leaders in Matthew 21, 42, where he says, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it, is it marvelous in your eyes? You know, Christ himself acknowledges the fact that he is the cornerstone of what God is doing. 
And so if Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, then, then our understanding of who Jesus is is really going to shape how any church grows and functions in the world today. You know, if a, if a church looks at Jesus and says, you know, that um, he's about changing perceived social injustices, and that's all he is, just a man about that, then, then any church that follows is just going to be about seeing social changes. And that's what we've seen in, in many liberal churches today. The same is true the other direction, you know. If, if Jesus is thought to just be, you know, calling the Jews out for their failure to keep the law and, and you know, their, their failure to live morally and just condemning them in that regard, then, then the result of that, you know, any church that sees Jesus that way is going to, um, to turn into some extreme fundamentalism. But if we, if we take Jesus as he truly is presented to us in the scriptures, you know, who is about making disciples, Christ, who is about graciously giving hope of forgiveness and redeeming sinners from real sin, then we're going to see a church that is honest about sin and at the same time absolutely relentless about grace. You know, a church who desires sanctification for the glory of God, not to, not to earn something. And that's, that's what we seek to, to be as a church. You know, I can't stand here and say we're the greatest in the world at doing it, but that's our desire, that's, that's our hope. To see sinners graciously redeemed by the blood of Christ and finding hope in that. See, if our cornerstone, if Christ really died and really has risen from the grave, and indeed Christ has, then, then we must be about new life in the gospel, fueled by the Holy Spirit and, and with the aim of God's glory in absolutely everything. And, and so, you know, first the, the cornerstone is laid. And that's, that's Christ here as the foundation. And, and then Paul in verse 20 says that the structure is, is being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Be honest, does, does that sound like blasphemous to you on some level? Um, you know, Christ is the foundation. We just sang a song about that, right? And so then to, to say here that it's the apostles and the prophets really just seems a little odd, you know. Uh, let me try to explain it to you. You can put away your, your heresy meter or whatever. Put your guard down. Uh, first of all, it's, it's here in Scripture, right? Where do we find truth? We find it in the Word of God. Uh, this can shape what we understand. Secondly, the, the word order here, apostles first and then prophets, is telling us uh, that what he's talking about here is the New Testament apostles and prophets, okay? It's not talking about Moses here. Uh, remember, a prophet is someone who, who speaks the word of God. He's, he's talking about people like, like Paul, like John, uh, like Dr. Luke, uh, you know, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Those, those whom the word of God was, was given to be spoken and ultimately written down in, in what we have collectively today as the, the scriptures. And, and so then the, the cornerstone is, is Jesus, and the foundational blocks laid in line with Jesus, creating the foundation of this structure, is the word of God. That's what this is a reference to. That's why, uh, you know, we as a church are, are committed to making the word of God central in everything we do. Uh, you know, when a, when a church begins to trust or uh, begins to question the trustworthiness of the scriptures, then the foundation of that local church is gone and, and no building will remain long as soon as when the foundation fails. You know, we've seen this play out way too often in the era that we're living in. 
in an attempt to, to make the church more, more relevant or more pliable to, to the culture that we live in. You know, churches have lessened their commitment to the word. And, and those churches have slowly crumbled in on themselves, you know, until they, they end up being something, you know, little more than a social gathering or, or self-help talks on a Sunday morning. Um, on a quick side note in this, this passage, it's, it's worth noting just for the sake of understanding the, the wider view here that uh, the foundation of, of any building is, is laid once, Right? particularly if it's, if it's laid well. Um, and, and that's what the apostles and the prophets here are, are referred to. That's why they're referred to the foundation. It indicates that these offices, these, uh, these receivers of new revelation from God, ha- have come to an end. The foundation has been laid, and, and then the building is, is built on top of that, right? And, and so we have no need of the office of, of prophet and apostle today, for, for we're building on the foundation that has already been laid. And as we're going to see in this passage coming up, uh, you know, brick by brick, redeemed soul by redeemed soul until Christ returns. That's the phase that we're in right now. Um, which is, again, what we learn here in verse 22, that the building blocks of this scru- structure are Christians, right? Uh, it says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This structure that is, that is being built, and it's being built as we proclaim the gospel. You know, as we, as we preach to groups, or as we share one-on-one with, with friends, or co-workers in coffee shops, or wherever it might be, as we, as we teach our, our children in our homes, and, and we answer questions that friends and neighbors might have about who God is, who Christ is, about the scriptures, you know, you, you, you understand what he's saying here, right? We are the bricks. We are the, the stones of this building that God is building. First uh, Peter 2.5 2, puts it this way. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, until Jesus returns... This is an ongoing building project. And every single day, every single day, it is growing larger as, as sinners look to Jesus with faith and are redeemed. You can see then, by, by God's design, that we are meant to live in relation to one another. We need one another. Really need one another. And I don't know if we understand that. I know we, we think, yeah, we like community, we want community, but we really need community. That's, you know, that's why as a church we... We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That's why we sing together and why we explore the Word of God together. That's why we meet in homes together and coffee shops over, over food and around hospital beds. And, you know, because a, a brick does not become the building God intends it to be until it is united with other bricks. That's God's design. This doesn't mean we're all going to be clones of each other, you know. There is great diversity in the, in the church that God is building. You know, God has made us all very different. Just like you know, some of the most beautiful buildings in the world are made from, from various different construction materials. And, and they're brought together under the direction of the, the builder, the architect, into this something that is, is beautiful. That's, that's the church. And so we continue to proclaim the gospel, and God continues to grow his church into this beautiful structure. And so then, what is the structure that God is building? What is the structure where Christ is the cornerstone, where the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, and where Christians are the stones gathered together? Uh, verse 21 gives us the answer to that question. The whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. 
You know, the old temple was a, uh, the, was a physical representation of, of God's presence with his people. You know, the, the reason that the Jews would gather to, to do rituals in the temple, the reason that they made sacrifices in the temple, the reason that they even had their festivals at the temple was that God was present there. That's where they would find God. That's where they would meet with God. The holy temple was where God met with his people, where they worshiped God, and where they enjoyed fellowship with each other. Well, yet the temple was a single address. And, and now... It's not a location, it's wherever Christians gather together, including and especially for corporate worship. Corporate meaning just just to worship together. You know, what we do on Sundays, what we're doing now, not just during the sermon and the singing, but every aspect of the liturgy. You know, God is is present with us right this moment. Does that seem weird to you? I mean, God is, is present with us. 2 Corinthians 6.16 states, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, that was an Old Testament hope, and for us, it's a present reality. Or as Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16 is asking, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that's a question that's great for us today. You know, the church today, do you not know that you're a temple of God and his spirit dwells in you? And so I'll say to you on the authority of of God's holy word that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you have salvation that God offers in the gospel by grace through faith, then you are part of the holy temple of God. God dwells so near you, in fact, that he actually dwells within you. Try to wrap your head around that. So what's all this mean, right? It's a short passage, just a few verses. Um, you know, what are, what's our responsibilities as, as citizens in the kingdom of God, uh, you know? What does it mean that we're, we're children in the household of God? What's it mean that we're living stones in the, in the temple of God? And let me give you four ways that I, I think we can apply this. Uh, first one is this. As the church, as Christians, we must embrace the weird. Yeah, embrace the weird. You know, we are citizens of God's kingdom, but we dwell in in the world. And so we're going to seem strange to anyone who is a citizen of this world. I think think if we're honest about ourselves, in fact, the, the biggest stumbling block to our sharing the gospel with others isn't that we don't love God. You know, it isn't that we don't love our, our neighbors, but, but really that we're just too much like our neighbors. We, we blend in so well with those who have no hope that, that no one would ever even think there's something different about us. You know, too often our ambitions are, are the same. Our, our morals and practice are very similar. Our anxieties are, are much the same. And, and the solution isn't for us to focus on trying to be different from the world. The, the solution for us is to look into God's word and to seek to conform to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that we've just learned does dwell inside of us. You know, our, our kids, uh, we have weird kids. They know this. They're not, I'm not shocking them right now. In fact, they embrace it so much that we had one of them tattling on the other one not long ago about so-and-so said I'm normal. Like, that was the tattling. Um, 
But they're, they're, they're kind of weird, and they embrace it. And, and I love that they embrace it because, you know, the, the faith that they, they hold is going to seem weird to, to many of their classmates, many of their co-workers in the future. You know, and, and the more comfortable that they are being seen as a little weird by those around them, then, then the better. The better. The easier it is going to be to hold on to that. You, you, you college students, you know, when, when, when people learn about your, your Christian view of uh, your sexual ethics, you know, um, you likely feel that sense that whoever you're speaking to finds you incredibly odd. Um, like you're the really weird person now, you know. Your, your, your views aren't right because they're no longer the majority view in our culture. That's kind of the idea. And you're going to feel weird, you know. In that, in that moment, you've got to be so, so confident that God's word is such a solid foundation to stand upon. You've got to be comfortable with, with people rejecting God's standards because it's sure going to feel like they're rejecting you. And they might be. Um, even when we were in college, Laura took this, this human sexuality class, and, and one of the exercises, a big auditorium class, one of the exercises was they would, they would ask your opinion about things, and everyone had to walk to one wall or the other wall. And, and there were many occasions, many questions, where two of them ended up on a wall with themselves and the entire rest of the class on the other wall. In those moments, you could look across and realize they think, I am, I am insane. I am weird. And, and so the better we learn to just embrace this, the, the, the better we're going to be. Um, that's how we stand out in a lot of ways. You know, we, we had a member uh, of the church who has since PCS'd off to somewhere else, but um, I remember him sharing a story about him, him uh, going to someone lower in ranking. I don't know the army terms real well. Uh, lower in ranking and seeking their forgiveness for the way that he had just verbally berated him earlier. You know, he said, I had sinned against the guy. It wasn't that I corrected him. I just sinned in the way that I responded. Um, and, and he went and he, and he sought the guy's forgiveness. And he said the guy was just very surprised because that's nothing that superiors do. Um, you know, that was weird. It was gloriously weird. And so our, our goal can't be to, to fit in with the world, but our goal must be to glorify our God. And, and, and that's a completely different perspective. So embrace the weird. Uh, second thing, we are to be the church and we are to love the church. You know, if, if you love Jesus, you'll love his church and you'll love to worship with his church. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, I thought, put this well. He said, um, for someone to say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. It's like me telling my wife, I, I love you, Corinna, but I can't stand your body. That's the statement that's being made, you know. So, so love the church. It's, it's not perfect. It's filled with sinners, redeemed sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And, and so seek the good of, the, of Christ's church. You know, further, as a, a local church, we must be committed to the word of God. And, and that's something, I mean, I, I hope you understand. You know, even if Myers-Briggs lessons are, you know, uh, might attract more people, there's this commitment to the word of God. And that means that we, we must be digging into the scriptures and seeking to be sanctified in the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so throwing off the constraints of some trendy hashtag morality or, or cultural causes so that instead we are holding firm to the rock-solid truth that comes from the one who made the world, the, the very one who created us, every one of us who actually dwell here. And so Christ is the, is the cornerstone, the word of God, given through the prophets and the apostles as our foundation, and, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit being built together as the church of God in the world. That's who we are. So if we want to see, you know, renewal in the world around you, then, then be about the churches in every community being, being strengthened, you know. Loving the church means supporting the ministry of the church. And I don't just mean here, wherever God takes you. 
You know, in your, your future years, I, I encourage people to this all the time. Get involved in the church wherever you go. You know, when you leave here from graduation, PCSing, whatever reason, wherever you are, find a church and get involved. You need that church, and that church needs you in their life. Uh, so then the third application is that uh, we are to actively love each other. Actively love each other. This means that, that we're going to love different than the world loves, okay? You've got to let go of the things we culturally know as love. We are to, to love in ways that don't just pacify the immediate desires for approval. You know, we're to, to love in ways that, uh, that has each other's eternal good in focus. And sometimes that means speaking the truth, even when they're, uh, <clears throat> something less than the truth would be received a lot better. You know, really, really everyone <clears throat> in your life, I don't know if you ever thought about this, everyone in your life can fit into three categories. I realized this the other day and it was kind of intriguing to me. Um, someone can be your enemy, right? This is the thing, all three of these categories you're called to love. Uh, someone could be your enemy, someone who's antagonistic in, against you because of your faith, maybe just because they don't like you, uh, whatever reason. And, and yet in Matthew 5, 44, 45, Jesus explains we are to love our enemies. He, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Someone can also just, just be your neighbor, right? Someone who uh, isn't your brother or sister in Christ, but they are just a, a fellow human being in that regard. In Matthew twenty two thirty nine, 39, Jesus states, uh, after loving God, you are to love your neighbor. It's this famous statement, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then moving up that chain of intimacy is this category of your brother or your sister in Christ. You know, how we love each other as a household of God, this is very important to God. <clears throat> Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you. You're hearing this? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Any of you that are, are parents, you, you, you understand this very well. You know that, that joy that it gives you just to see your children be kind and loving towards each other. I, it doesn't matter what they're doing even. Just to see them being kind and loving to each other gives you joy. And the pain that it causes when you see them uh, acting selfishly towards each other or viewing each other with contempt and, and fighting the, the pain that it causes you. You know, we as a, a church, then, our, our covenant community, we, we ought to be asking ourselves constantly, you know, this question, how can, how can I show real and, and active love towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? And what, what can I do that, that reflects that? Galatians 6.10 teaches us, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. But then it, it goes on. And, and especially to those who are the household of faith. So it's this call that we love each other well. And my, my constant prayer for us as a church is, is that our gatherings would really be the most welcoming place that anyone walks into on, in, in their week. You know, if you, if you can remember back to any time in your life at camp or a school or something, that first moment you walk into a cafeteria and that, that panic sets in, where am I going to sit? I don't know anyone. Just paranoia of being all alone. And, and, and the relief you feel when it doesn't matter who it is, someone just talks to you, come sit here. You know, just, just the relief of, okay, now I'm not awkwardly standing in the corner. You know, my, my hope is that we are welcoming in that way to anyone who walks in these doors or you know, the parish groups or any other activity that we do. You know, my, my hope is that we're all comfortable inviting people to church or, or small groups because we're confident that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to make them feel welcome, uh, are going to speak to them, are going to engage with them. 
Okay, so we got one more, one more application here. Um, for that we proclaim the gospel. That's what all this means, that we proclaim the gospel. You know, when, when the people of God uh, dwelled in Egypt, they were still citizens of Israel, right? They were exiles in Egypt. This is the Old Testament. Um, and they were living in a foreign land. And one of the jobs that they were given was, was to actually make bricks. I don't know if you, if you read this. As you're going through it, you'll see that, you know, one of the reasons the Egyptians didn't want to lose them is because they made bricks. Um, <clears throat> for the Egyptians in that regard, but there's this, this similar way that, you know, what we're seeing in this passage is that one of the, the purposes that has been given to us by Christ is, is to make disciples of all nations, right? You hearing this? He's, he's telling us to make bricks in the illustration we've just seen in this passage. Not, not literal this time, like the Egyptians, but, but the bricks that build up the spiritual temple of the Lord. And the way that we do that is, is to share the gospel with people around us. You see, the, the kingdom expands, the, the household multiplies, and, and the temple structure is enlarged by the proclamation of the gospel to those who we live around and who we live among. The world we, we live in is filled with those who truly need the forgiveness of God. Not it would be some side perk, but desperately need the gospel. And the forgiveness that comes to the gospel, you know, it's found only, yes, only in Jesus Christ. And, and so I, I encourage you, you know, even as we walk out of here today into this week, embrace the weird. Embrace the weird. Proclaim the good news every opportunity you have. Look for, look for ways to care about those people around you, especially in the household of faith. But, but embrace the weird as we seek to glorify the Lord in every area of our life. Let's pray.